Austin, Texas is known for many things, barbecue, the America Formula One Grand Prix, and being the self-proclaimed live music capital of the world. But on March the 11th, 2022, it would be the center of attention for a much more sinister reason when a talented athlete, Mariah Wilson, is found dead having suffered multiple gunshot wounds and the hunt began for her killer. Welcome to the Beyond Evil podcast, where we discuss and dissect the most mysterious, terrifying, and mind-bending cases from all over the world. Before we begin, we would like to send our sincere condolences to all of those friends and family members affected by this case, but especially Mariah Wilson. Mariah Wilson was born on May the 18th, 1996, in Littleton, New Hampshire. Her mother, Karen Wilson, was a cycling instructor, and her father, Eric Wilson, was on the 1977 U.S. ski team. With parents like that, she was destined for a career as an athlete. The family moved to Kirby, Vermont, a picturesque area with large mountains, ski areas, and top-class prep schools that specialize in training young athletes. Her father worked as a ski instructor at the Burke Mountain Academy, a private college prep school in East Burke, Vermont. Unsurprisingly, as I mentioned, the college specializes in training young athletes, especially in aspiring alpine ski racing on the slopes of the Burke Mountain ski area. Mariah and her brother Matthew may as well have been born in ski suits. It wouldn't surprise you to learn that they attended the college where their father worked. By a young age, both were accomplished skiers, much to the delight of their parents. Mariah, especially, seems to have inherited the athletic genes passed down by her parents. As well as being a talented skier, she was also the captain of her soccer team and a promising gravel racer. This would be where her passions lay. Within a short space of time, she would not be just competing, but winning gravel races at an astonishing rate. But tragically, her bright future was to be brought to a premature end. On May the 11th, 2022, just before 10 o'clock in the evening in Austin, Texas, a 25-year-old woman is found on the bathroom floor of a friend's house. She is bleeding uncontrollably from her head and torso. Lying unconscious and not breathing, blood was spattered all over the bathroom. This was no freak accident or a suicide attempt. She had been shot twice in the head and once in the stomach. In a complete state of shock, her friend immediately called 911 in an attempt to save the young woman's life. First responders attended the scene as fast as they could. They began CPR, but tragically, it wasn't long before they gave up. It was already too late. The young woman's fight for life was over. But how had it come to this? What had driven someone to shoot this young woman in cold blood and take her life so heartlessly? In 2019, Mariah graduated from the University of Dartmouth with a degree in engineering. But as you could probably guess, she had no intention of going into a career as an engineer. She had her heart set on a career in sports. Whatever Mariah put her mind to, she accomplished. And within two years, she was a renowned cyclist climbing her way up the rankings and sharing podiums with already well-established professional cyclists. She did have a job as a demand planner for a company, but she soon left that job to pursue cycling full-time. Her career path wasn't all lycra and tarmac. She did have a social side. Mariah became more well-known. She also started to become more integrated in the community of cycling athletes. She made lots of friends and new sponsors. 
One person in particular was Colin Strickland, a 35-year-old accomplished cyclist who shared a sponsor with Mariah. Both Mariah and Colin had been in relationships that had recently ended, and the pair became close. In October 2021, Mariah was on a visit to Austin, Texas, which just happened to be where Colin lived. Perhaps as a result of being on the rebound, Colin and Mariah entered into a relationship together, but it didn't last. It was kind of over before the end of November of 2021. It was more of a fling than a relationship, you might say. Soon after, Mariah returned home to California. Colin remained in Austin and rekindled a previous relationship that had ended three years earlier with a woman named Caitlin Armstrong, a 34-year-old yoga instructor and realtor. The very brief relationship between Mariah and Colin didn't seem to cause any animosity between them. The pair remained friends and keen members of the cycling community. There was one problem, however, Colin's girlfriend, Caitlin. On one hand, you can understand why any woman or man wouldn't be happy about their partner staying close with an ex, but Caitlin wasn't aware that Colin and Mariah had briefly been involved together. The two appeared to be just friends and colleagues, nothing more. But Caitlin couldn't seem to grasp this. She started taking steps to stop them from communicating with each other. She would block calls and delete texts from Mariah on Colin's phone. Colin wasn't willing to give up his friend, nor did he want to lose his girlfriend. So in a move to make his life easier, and even in a strange way to appease Caitlin, he hid Mariah's number under a different name on his phone. Perhaps he couldn't think of any other way, but if your partner starts saving another man or woman's number under a fake name, you would probably be suspicious as well. So this was not the smartest move for Colin. Surely a better way for Colin to have handled the situation would have been to sit down and talk with Caitlin, either say, hey, Mariah is my friend, nothing more, and I'm not going to stop talking to her, or alternatively, just cut all ties to keep Caitlin happy. In January of 2022, both Mariah and Colin attended a cycling event in Arkansas. Who came with Colin? Caitlin. It made for an uncomfortable affair. Mariah, it seems, had no idea about the situation with Caitlin. She didn't know the problems that her friendship with Colin were causing. Although there was no confrontation, the atmosphere was tense. The day after the event, Mariah sent Colin a text in which she asked, What's going on? Why were things weird all weekend? But did Mariah have ideas about getting back with Colin? The text also said, If you just want to be friends, which it seems you do, that's cool. I just want to talk about it. Given the text message, it seems that there was some confusion between Mariah and Colin, at least on Mariah's part. Was Colin really telling the truth, or was he actually leading Caitlin and Mariah on, trying to have his cake and eat it too? What was already a difficult situation, to say the least, escalated further when Caitlin somehow found out that Mariah and Colin had been romantically involved. Friends of Caitlin said that she was enraged, shaking with anger. She was even overheard to say, I'm going to kill Mariah. Not necessarily a death threat, of course. People say things in the heat of the moment. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to follow through on them. But the problem now was that Caitlin and her suspicions had been justified in her mind. Colin was talking to his ex a lot. He was spending time with her at cycling events, and now she knew of their previous relationship, and it all made sense to her. Colin was cheating on her with Mariah, at least in her mind. 
Not an outlandish hypothesis to come to, given that Colin was hiding communications with Mariah under a fake name in his phone. Although you may assume that Caitlin would have done something stupid at this point, in fact, she didn't. Months passed by as she seemingly tried to process the situation. But on May the 10th, Mariah traveled back to Austin to participate in a cycling event called the Gravel Locos, and she was staying with a friend. It wasn't clear at this point if Mariah and Colin were aware that Caitlin actually knew. Either way, Colin wasn't too concerned because he made plans to go swimming with Mariah on May the 11th at around 5.30 in the evening. At this point, we have to question Colin's motives because either stupidly or in an attempt to be cunning, he lied to Caitlin about these plans that evening, omitting to tell her that he was meeting Mariah. Regardless of the situation, Colin did go meet Mariah. He picked her up from that friend's house and they went swimming as planned at the Deep Eddy pool. Then they had dinner together at a place called Pool Burger, and afterwards Colin dropped Mariah off at her friend's house. At 8.37 p.m., Colin sent a text to Caitlin telling her that he had been dropping off flowers at a friend's house but was now on the way home. He didn't wait around to see if Mariah got in safely. After all, there was no reason to assume she wouldn't. The ring doorbell on her friend's home confirmed that Mariah walked in at the exact time that Colin texted Caitlin. But there was one major problem. Fueled by her suspicions, which were partly justified through Colin's lies, Caitlin did not believe a single word that Colin had told her about going to a friend's house. She was determined to find out what he was up to. Using an app called Strava, she was able to find out exactly where he was. Not only that, she was able to find out the location of Mariah, who also had downloaded that app. Strava is used by people to plan out routes for exercise, and then these routes are uploaded for others to see and compare. It can also be used in real time to see where someone is, for example, on a run or a cycle ride, or even a suspected cheating boyfriend. Between Mariah entering her friend's home at 8.37 p.m. and her friend calling 911 just before 10, Mariah was to be the victim of an unhinged, brutal shooting inside of that home. Police had a homicide on their hands. To make the case more difficult, the victim was from out of town. Their first port of call was to find anyone who knew her in the area, and that didn't take long. Mariah's friend was asked if anything was missing from the property. There were no obvious signs of any burglary. The only thing that she noticed was Mariah's bike was missing, and police found that not far away dumped in some bushes. As you would expect for a professional cyclist, it was an expensive item. But if it had been a burglary, why didn't the thief take it with them? As nothing else had been taken from the property, police came to a quick conclusion that whoever did this intended to kill Mariah, and it was not a burglary gone wrong. There was nothing to suggest that Mariah's friend had any involvement. She was the one who called 911. She was distraught at the death of her friend, and police quickly ruled her out of the investigation. But who else did Mariah know in the area? That's right, Colin and Caitlin. When police discovered that Caitlin had a B-class warrant out for her, they decided that that was a good starting point. The warrant wasn't for what you would consider to be a serious crime. It was for larceny. She had gone to get a Botox treatment some time back, and she told the clinic that her credit card was in the car. She left and never came back. Not really the crime of the century. It was only about 600 bucks, but police did have the perfect excuse to bring her in and see if she knew anything about the murder of Mariah under that pretense. Believing at first that her previous crime had caught up with her, 
Caitlin cooperated with police. After all, she wouldn't be looking at much of a punishment anyway, possibly an apology and then compensation, but her demeanor changed rapidly when she was quizzed, firstly about her movements in the last 24 hours, and secondly about Mariah. As soon as police mentioned the homicide, her face dropped. She couldn't speak. She simply sat rigid as a board and was in total confusion as to what to say or do next. Caitlin did try to explain away her movements unconvincingly, and she had no answer for what the police would show her next. As well as having a ring doorbell, Mariah's friend also had ring security cameras around her home. One of those cameras pointed at the front of the property, down the driveway, and managed to catch a part of the sidewalk and alleyway running by the house, just enough to capture vehicles and people as they went by. This wasn't intentional, of course. It was intended to just focus on her own property. Although not intentional, it would prove to be crucial. The security camera captured a black Jeep Grand Cherokee passing by the property on the 11th of May, the same evening that Mariah was murdered. And guess who drove such a vehicle? Yep, Caitlin. Police gave Caitlin several opportunities to explain why she was in the area, but she had no explanation. Caitlin cut a frustrated figure. Although not uttering a single syllable, she crossed her arms, looked away, rolled her eyes. Police, of course, had spoken with Colin as well. He gave them chapter and verse on how he knew Mariah and the situation that had existed between Caitlin and him as a result of their friendship. Caitlin's attitude was not helped by the next line of questioning from the police. They kept referring to the dynamics between Colin, Mariah, and herself as a love triangle. Caitlin became agitated and also passively aggressive, but although she didn't know it yet, she had an ace up her sleeve. Police asked if she was upset about not being able to explain why she was in the area that evening. She nodded in agreement and then asked to leave the station. But why would they let her go? Surely, as she was clutching at straws, she had no alibi and couldn't explain her whereabouts. But then there was that ace up her sleeve that she didn't know she had. Police had made an administrative error in the arrest warrant. And to make things worse, the police database had her date of birth listed incorrectly. On a pure technicality, Caitlin was allowed to walk free. But she wouldn't just leave the police station. She was about to disappear into thin air. After leaving the police station, Caitlin worked fast. She wasn't hanging around for the cops to come knocking on her door, which she was sure that they would be doing pretty soon. She booked a flight to New York, deactivated any social media, and simply vanished. After all, if you're going to lose yourself anywhere, the vast and very landscapes of the United States is the place to do it, and what better city than the vast concrete metropolis that is New York? Any police search would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. She was captured on CCTV entering Austin's International Airport at 12.30 p.m. on May the 14th. She then caught a connecting flight to Houston before boarding another plane bound for New York's LaGuardia Airport. On May the 17th, U.S. Marshals finally got the homicide warrant they wanted for Caitlin Armstrong, but on May the 18th, she would be pictured at LaGuardia Airport. She had clearly been using smaller, shorter internal flights to confuse anyone from law enforcement that may have been following her, and it worked. Caitlin clearly wasn't stupid. She was staying one step ahead of law enforcement the entire time. The day she arrived in New York, an ID was issued for Christine Armstrong, which just happens to be the name of Caitlin's sister. 
At the time, not a lot was known about the sister. Indeed, it was believed she wasn't even in New York, but was actually living in California. That was something that we will come back to later. Acquiring the ID was a fairly stupid move on Caitlin's part. The authorities now knew she was in New York, and an ID had been issued in the name of one of her relatives with the same surname. And that was pretty dumb. Authorities may have been a step or two behind the great escape, but would they really believe this coincidence that a woman, her sister, who lived in California, would suddenly pick up sticks and move to New York at the same time that her sister was on the run? Of course they wouldn't. But as far as using the ID in day-to-day -day life went, when around unsuspecting people, she would probably get away with it for a while as she did bear a striking resemblance to her sister. Police managed to get a copy of the ID issued to Caitlin, which had Camp Haven listed as the address. Camp Haven is a nature retreat in Livingston Manor, New York. As previously mentioned, it is a near-impossible task for the most diligent law enforcement officers to find one person who doesn't want to be found in a place the size of New York, and the trail went cold. But the cops were not giving up. On June 15th, they received a potential lead, receiving a tip-off, someone telling them that they had seen Caitlin at Camp Haven just a month earlier, right around the time that she arrived in New York. A common mistake made by many criminals is to believe that they're less likely to be found in more rural areas. What many fail to realize is that people who live in the countryside are much nosier than those who may live in more densely populated areas. They are often very tight-knit communities. Everyone knows everyone, and newcomers are noticed quickly. The camper who gave the police the tip-off said that Caitlin wasn't the only one there. They also said that her sister Christine worked there and had been a resident of the camp. As the result of the tip-off, police forced the camp to close and put up no trespassing signs around it. News reports at the time speculated how it was possible that Caitlin may still be in there, hiding from authorities. Police and camp officials did actually confirm the tip-off. Christine Armstrong had been working there. Police spoke with her sister and informed her that the camp was part of the search area for Caitlin. But, much to the disappointment of authorities, six weeks passed by. Colin had also gone into hiding because he was afraid that if he spoke out, Caitlin would come back and kill him. Caitlin's sister, Christine, was also lying low. She avoided any media attention and had not spoken publicly about her sister. Caitlin was still managing to avoid the authorities as well, and the theory that she may have been hiding out in Camp Haven had long since lost its credibility. On June 29, 2022, St. Teresa, Costa Rica, U.S. Marshals and Costa Rican police swooped down and surround a hostel. The word had been put out to all countries that Caitlin was on the run, and the net was tightening. Her world got so small that there was nowhere left for her to hide without being recognized. A joint task force entered the hostel, re-emerging a short time later, escorting a dark-haired woman with bandaged nose and discolored eyes. This, of course, sounds nothing like the pretty Caitlin who had long, sweeping ginger hair and bright eyes, but it was her. The authorities had finally gotten their woman. Police managed to determine that Caitlin had left the U.S. via the Newark airport using a fraudulent passport on the 18th of May around 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. She had never been to Camp Haven. Her scheme to use various different flights to confuse authorities had worked perfectly. While they were searching the length and breadth of New York, she had landed in San Jose, Costa Rica. Since her arrest, speculation and theories have been rife. One in particular. Was Caitlin working alone? Was there someone else involved? 
Caitlin had a comfortable life. She was a yoga instructor and realtor, but she wasn't a millionaire. In less than 50 days, she had managed to pay for and board numerous flights within the U.S., then pay for an international flight to Costa Rica. The bruising and bandages around her eyes and nose, well, she had managed to get plastic surgery almost as soon as she landed in Costa Rica. These things cost money, and lots of it. Police eventually found her black Jeep at a local car dealership. Back on May the 13th, Caitlin had sold the car to them for $12,200, which would help explain how she had paid for some of the services. But $12,000 doesn't go that far when you're on the run, and it's unlikely that it would cover all of the flights that she took, plus living expenses and plastic surgery. Suspicions point at her sister Christine. Now, we have to stress that this is a theory, not fact. Nobody can be sure if there was anyone else involved, let alone her own sister. But it isn't as conspiratorial as it sounds. She needed money. A day after she arrives in New York, Caitlin gets an ID in her sister's name, and when she was apprehended, she had a copy of Christine's driving license. The day after Caitlin arrived in New York, Christine applied for a new driver's license. We also know from Camp Haven staff that Christine had worked there before and she knew the area. Was she helping Caitlin to avoid authorities? We simply don't know. Another theory, again, it's a theory, not fact, is that Colin may have had more of an involvement in this case than he let on. It sounds conspiratorial, but some have speculated that Colin's text to Caitlin just one minute after he dropped Mariah off at her friend's house stating that I have been delivering flowers on the way home now was actually some sort of code to let Caitlin know where Mariah was. There is no evidence of this, of course. It's just speculation. But Colin has proven to not be the most honest guy in the world. He did, of course, hide the fact that he dated Mariah and changed her name in his phone so that Caitlin wouldn't find out. He also told authorities that he and Caitlin had broken up before Mariah came to town and that Caitlin was okay with him dating other people. If this was true, then why did he text her telling her where he was? And why was she so angry about Mariah and Colin's friendship? What else did he not tell authorities? But in the interest of fairness, lying about a contact on your phone is a far cry from taking part in a murder. Since Caitlin's arrest, police have been working hard to gather evidence. One compelling piece they have found is ballistic evidence that was connected to a 9mm handgun purchased by... No, not Caitlin, but Colin. He gave it as a gift to Caitlin in January of 2022. The gun was found in Colin and Caitlin's home by investigators. They are also investigating the possibility that Caitlin was helped by another third party. Law enforcement gave a press conference after she was deported. They focused on how quickly Caitlin managed to escape, how she managed to catch so many different flights between Austin, Houston, LaGuardia, Newark, and the San Jose airports. What's more is that she had a passport that didn't belong to her. Law enforcement did say that the passport was the property of someone she was closely associated with in the United States, but they wouldn't specify who. One reporter asked outright if the rightful owner of the passport could face criminal charges, to which the investigator replied, it is an ongoing investigation. It seems that the police also suspect that this was too big of a job for one person to complete alone. On July 21, 2022, Caitlin attended her first court hearing via Zoom, in which she pleaded not guilty to charges of first-degree murder and theft of service. She was placed under a $3.5 million bond for the first charge and a $3,500 bond for the second. 
In October 2022, she attended a second hearing where it would be determined if she could be released while awaiting for her jury trial. All options were discussed, such as a GPS tag, surrendering her passport. Caitlin is adamant that she will go to the jury trial for the murder charges, insisting that she is innocent. She will continue to be held in the Travis County Jail until her trial. Prosecutors, it is argued by her attorney, were reluctant to go to trial as they didn't have enough evidence to convict her. The defense claims that inexperienced officers were put on the case and failed to act upon a tip given about her ex-boyfriend. They also allege that Caitlin and Collins' home was vandalized the night that Mariah was murdered, and they say they want to know why this was not investigated properly and who may have perpetrated the crime. The last point they are making, which can be a rocky road to go down, is that of police incompetence. They say that Caitlin is being put on trial by the media, which are being fed falsehoods by the law enforcement involved in the investigation, and they are biased, untrue claims about her. They believe law enforcement is doing all it can to cover up misconduct and mistakes in the handling of the case. The trial hearing was supposed to take place a week after the bail hearing, but since then, the defense have filed motions to suppress evidence recovered by law enforcement officers because the police did not read Caitlin her rights. They argue this makes the evidence obtained null and void, including her original arrest for the warrant relating to the Botox clinic. The judge has suspended trial while they consider these motions. A new preliminary trial date has been set for June 22nd of 2023, but that is not yet fully confirmed. This is undoubtedly a case that raises more questions than it answers. Was Caitlin acting alone? Is she a vicious criminal whose jealousy led her to assassinate Mariah in cold blood? Or was Colin playing both women off each other? One thing we do know from the autopsy report is that Mariah received the third gunshot in her torso after she had been shot twice in the head and was presumably dying. This clearly indicates that whoever shot Mariah had no intention of letting her live. They made sure that she was going to die. This was a premeditated murder. Of course, if Caitlin had planned to kill Mariah, she did have ample time to plan her escape route, but the fact that she sold her car far below market value just days before she flew from Austin to Houston suggests that she may have been rushed, and it was not so well planned out. She also drove her own personal vehicle past the property where Mariah was staying, right under the surveillance cameras, not really the act of a criminal mastermind. If it was all very last minute, then who advised her on how best to avoid the police if they pursued her? Her sister, Colin, or someone else? There is a lot left unsaid in this case, and much more information will come out through the courts. If Caitlin is found guilty, she will spend a long time behind bars, or could also face capital punishment. Therefore, it is unlikely that she would cover for anyone else who may have helped her. We at Beyond Evil bring you these cases not to spread hate, but to demonstrate how crimes happen and why they happen, providing a more in-depth view of a person's mentality and thought processes. Our sincere condolences go out to Mariah Wilson, a young woman who lost her life and left this world far too young under horrible circumstances. She had much to live for years of life ahead of her, as well as the bright future of an athlete. We dedicate this documentary to her life and memory. May she rest in peace. 
If you found this story compelling, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a five-star review if you would like to show your support. We appreciate it. Also, don't forget to hit the notification bell to stay up to date each time we reveal a new shocking case. And until next time, stay safe and keep your eyes peeled. You never know what's lurking in the shadows.